morning, everyone. Uh, hopefully you got your boat out of the slip this morning and were able to get here uh, dry as you could. Um, we're glad that you're here. We're, we're thankful that we're able to be inside and worship this morning. Um, these, these, these students up here just did a fantastic job. You're going to get to hear from them in just a moment again. Uh, but we just wanted to welcome you, um, welcome our guests and our visitors and uh, all of our uh, EFC family. We're glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. And our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 11. Um, so I'm going to invite you to stand as we uh, read from the God's word this morning. Psalm 11 says, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are, God, for your sovereignty in all things, Lord. Uh, we just praise you for um, allowing us to be here this morning to worship you, to gather together, to lift up our hearts and our voices, um, our minds to you as we worship uh, through song, as we worship through the preaching of your word, God. And we want to give you the glory, God, uh, the glory that is only due to your holy name. We want to honor that this morning, and we want to give you praise, Lord. And we thank you again for our, our time here, and I just pray for your hand of blessing as we move forward in our service through all, all that we do today, that we give you the glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. OCS Band and Mrs. Ferretti for leading them. I'm going to invite you to stand as we uh, worship together now. We're going to sing. And we'll stand and sing to God be the glory. But uh, Carrie, let's let Lily lead us. <laughs> Just make sure uh, Lily got back over.
To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life and atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he has done. Oh, perfect redemption. The purchase of blood to every believer, the promise of God, the vilest defender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father, through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he has done. Great things he has taught us, great things he has done, and great our rejoicing. Through Jesus the Son, but purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport when Jesus we see. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. To the Father, through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he has done. Oh, come to the Father, through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he has done. Take time to greet one another this morning if you haven't already. Just shake somebody's hand. Tell them you're glad to see them this morning. and singing Christ our hope in life and death. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls to him belong? Who holds our days 
within his hand what comes apart from his command and what will keep us to the end the love of christ in which we stand oh sing hallelujah our hope springs eternal oh sing hallelujah now and ever we confess christ our hope in life and death Truth can calm the troubled soul. God is good, God is good. Where is His grace and goodness known? In our great Redeemer's blood, who holds our faith when fears arise, who stands above the stormy trials, who sends the waves that bring us nigh. Unto the shore, the rock of Christ. Oh, sing hallelujah. Our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah. Now and ever we confess. Christ, our hope in life and death. To the grave, what will we sing? Christ, he lives, Christ, he lives. And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him. There we will rise to meet the Lord. Sin and death will be destroyed. And we will feast in endless joy. When Christ is ours forevermore, oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal, oh, sing hallelujah, now and ever we confess, Christ our hope in life and death, oh, sing hallelujah. Good morning. Welcome to church this morning. Uh, my name is Mark Bates, and uh, it's my privilege to serve uh, not only in the church here, but also uh, in the school. Uh, welcome. Uh, welcome to those of us, or those of you that are joining us online as well. Uh, a reminder, you have the attendance form on your row. If you'll fill that out uh, and just leave it in the chair when you're done, and we'll collect those after the service. 
Um, we're doing things a little bit different this morning. We're trying to involve some of the Oroville Christian School students in the service. Uh, so Chris Walburn will be reading our announcements, and Jack Johansson will be uh, reading the scripture for us. Good morning. My name is Carissa Walborn, and I'm in eighth grade, and I've been at OCS since preschool. Today's main announcement is the Women Ministry invites all women to the 3M prayer meeting to be hold, held Thursday, October 28th, from 6.30 to 8, well, 8 p.m., at the Hensel home. Come on, women. It's time to pray together. For more information, please see Carol Hensel or Sharon Waters. The Kingsman is continuing to meet with their Wednesday evening dinner and Bible study at, Joe, at Joey Canachi's from 6 to 8 p.m. Contact Joe or Michael Ferretti for more information. Next week, the missions committee will recognize Ken and John Warwick as they retire after years of ministry well, ministry service. The Warwicks will be able will be with us during the service and afterwards to share what the Lord did that did in their ministries. Cards are available today in the foyer for you to sign to thank them for their years of gospel service. If you in, if you enjoy the time of fellowship after the service, then please consider helping with this ministry. We need more volunteers to ensure that there will be coffee and snacks each week. Many hands make light work. Sign up today to help us with to help us out with the with this ministry. There is a new colorful sign-up sheet in the foyer. If you in, wait, Juana <laughs> is underway. Meeting each Wednesday at 5:45. This is a program that trains children in biblical truth and builds their character in the Lord. Parents, there is still time to get your kids signed up. Contact Tim Giordano for more information. The offering box is available in the back of the room. If you want to de designate your giving for any of our church ministries, please indicate that on the blue offering envelopes. Thank you for your faithful and generous giving to EFC. Our ministry moment for today focuses on Orville Christian School. Please welcome Petrina Leidendorf, the chair of OCS School Board, will come and give us an update on our favorite school. Good morning, church. What a blessing to have the OCS band and their students here today. We thank you for coming. In a we want to just extend a warm welcome to their parents and families who have brought them and are joining us today. So today's ministries moment is going to be a little different. It's going to be more of a praise report, and I need your participation. So if I raise my hand to you, can I hear praise the Lord? Let's practice. Praise the Lord. Oh, wow, for uh, kind of some empty seats. I like it. So. EFC plays a huge role in the success of Orville Christian School, and Orville Christian School is a big part of the ministry here at EFC. This successful relationship has us combining together today to bring praise and honor and thankfulness to our Lord. So here's our praise report. 
Over the past few years, education has been working through more than a couple hiccups, I would say. But OCS has done more than survive. We've been thriving and growing. The leadership team for Orville Christian School is made up of a school board, our administrator, and an elder liaison from this church. Your current school board members are Christina Walburn, Joe Cignacci, John Cooney, myself, and Don Remley. Our administrator is Mark Brates. He joined us in 2020, <laughs> which was not the most popular year for education, but we are so thankful that he and his wife heard the call, followed it to Orville Christian School, and is now an Orville Christian School Eagle. And our elder this past year has been Rob Rodney, and we thank him for his encouragement and his prayer for our board. The leadership of the school aims to uphold the mission that was started back in its inception in 1977 when a group of visionary people from this church and community wanted to start a Christian school that would reach out into the community and impact families and the larger society for Christ. Orville Christian School is, exists to accomplish this by providing an excellent Christ-centered education for students in preschool through eighth grade. We are grateful and humbled that God has entrusted us with the education of so many young people for 44 years. There we go. So, with growing enrollment obviously means growing financial needs. We have over 180 students here weekly. That includes preschool. This year's working budget alone is over $800,000, just under $900,000. That's big. And as you can see, the cost of having the students on campus exceeds what the families pay in tuition. The school relies on outside donations and fundraisers to help fill the gap. And thanks to the tithing that this church gives each month, you cover over 50% of the gap for every single student here. <laughs> we do offer up to 50% scholarship on tuition to qualifying families that is funded through donations on your blue slips it's even typed up there for you if you would like to donate to our scholarship fund that money goes directly to families and one of the things that makes Orville Christian School unique and what we are most proud of is our dedication to teaching biblical truths through a biblical worldview a biblical worldview is based on God's unchanging word since God is the creator of everything in heaven on earth, he is the standard for truth. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and unchanging. Teaching from this perspective is not just increasing a child's knowledge of biblical facts, but is, it is complete immersion into understanding that all subjects, math, science, history, music, point directly to our loving God who desires to have a personal relationship with each of us. All subjects taught here in grades preschool through eighth, have a direct link to our creator. <laughs> and the staff at OCS guide each student towards understanding that relationship. And as the student matures into middle school here, they are also taught how to listen and critique competing worldviews, cooperate with those with differing perspectives, and act from a biblical worldview and ethic. In preparing for today's presentation, I was able to interview the teachers here. And I asked them, what makes OCS different? And how do we push our students to be excellent? And they responded with a resounding high standards and high ethics. Any one of you who have students here or have had students here know that that is 
this group. We just don't have high standards and high ethics. We make sure that our students reach them. And we don't just have them in academics. We also push students to do their very best and we hold them accountable for things like life skills, organization, respect for their campus and each other and how they love one another. And of course, at OCS, it is guaranteed that the gospel will be preached at each and every grade level multiple times throughout the year. One of our teachers, I think, said it best. She says she tells this to her school, to her class. We don't do good enough. We do our best. I also asked the teachers, how can the church be praying for you and for your classrooms? And as I read through their responses, it seemed to break up into three categories. So as you pray for OCS, just simply remember, OCS, oh, for the overall health of our students and staff. We all know that students being in school, in their classroom, and with their teacher every day is how they achieve their best. C, challenging home lives and students that may be experiencing crisis during the school year. Please uplift them. We've also, as I mentioned before, have had disruptions in our school year through fires and floods and pandemics. And lastly, but perhaps most importantly, that souls would be saved and God would be glorified. It is our mission statement, and it is above all else that we hope to accomplish this on campus. Finally, we would be remiss if we thought we could run Orville Christian School on our own. This is far from the truth. OCS partners with other like-minded organizations to ensure a successful and safe school year. The first organization is ACSI, the Association of Christian Schools International. We have partnered with them for decades. They promote Christian education, provide training and various resources for us. And a more recent organization that you may recognize as Pastor Greg has utilized them as well is the Pacific Justice Institute, PJI. PJI is a nonprofit legal defense ministry who defends the religious freedoms of churches, schools, businesses, and individuals all at no cost. PJI distributes materials and information that we find useful in developing uh, that is developed specifically for pastors, churches, schools, and educators to help us know our legal rights in order to further God's kingdom. The Pacific Justice Institute has been a huge help in keeping Orville Christian School up and running and keeping students safe these past years. They are a big blessing to Orville Christian School, and in return, OCS will be blessing them with a love gift at the end of the year. If you have students here or grandchildren here or have students that go here and you are able we ask that you join us and partner with us as we give them a gift as a big sign of our appreciation. Again, you can do that through a blue offering slip. We, we praise the Lord for PJI. You can help us by making that donation. And in closing, on behalf of the leadership team, the staff at Orville Christian School, past and current students and their families, we thank you for your decades of love financial support and leadership and prayer. If you would like any more information regarding Orville Christian School and how you can be a part of it, please don't hesitate to ask anyone on our leadership team. We always love to brag on the school and to brag on our staff. Thank you so much. Good morning. My name is Jack Johansson, and I am in eighth grade, and I have attended this school since preschool. Our invocation passage today is Psalms 18, 86, 1 through 13. 
please stand for the reading of God's word. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. For I am poor and needy, preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you, you are my God. Be, be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, forgiving, abundant, abundant in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of trouble, I call upon you, for the for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You are alo alone, our God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to, to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. Great, For great is your steadfast love towards me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Oh. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good for us. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for the rain uh, that is so needed, Lord. Lord, pray for the uh, first responders uh, as the rain does bring difficulties and accidents, Lord, that you would keep them safe and help them to keep us safe. Lord, we confess our sins to you at this time. Forgive us for not doing the things that we should do, for doing things that we shouldn't do. But most importantly, Lord, for thinking that we can live without you. Please cleanse us that we, can, that we may walk in your righteousness. Lord, I pray for revival, not only in our church, but in our city and our land, Lord. That you would, you would stir up in us, that your Holy Spirit would touch the hearts of us and, and stir up a spiritual awakening. That as we confess our sins and turn from our evil ways, that we would seek your face more and more. Lord, we pray for the missionaries of this church. Uh, our missionary of the month, Linda Reed, Lord, that you would bless her and her jail ministry, give her strength, give her wisdom. Uh, she meets regularly with the women uh, and pray that your spirit would touch the lives of those that, that she touches, uh, that they would come to saving faith in you, Lord. Pray for other missionaries as well around the world, uh, that you would uphold them and strengthen them and embolden them, Lord. Lord, thank you for Orville Christian School. Thank you for... Uh, the students that have been here this morning, the students that aren't here this morning, uh, Lord, for their teachers, uh, that you would keep them safe, keep them healthy, that you would spiritually challenge us, that you would soften the, the hearts, that each day they would learn the lessons that you would have them to learn, and that the teachers would walk daily in your spirit, Lord. Lord, thank you for Awana. Thank you for the ministry. Thank you for the leaders. 
Lord, I pray that the scripture that the students learn would touch their hearts, touch the hearts of their families, uh, and that uh, students would come to know you at an early age. Lord, we know that the church around the world, there are places that uh, don't have the freedoms that we have to worship on a Sunday morning, to, to meet regularly. Lord, embolden them. Uh, give them a spirit of endurance, Lord, and continue to bless them in their ministry. Keep them safe. Lord, we pray for our leaders, uh, the leaders here in the city of Oroville, for our mayor, for our city councilman, for the county, our, our supervisors, for the state, for the governors, our legislatures, and for the country, Lord, for the president and senators and uh, congressmen, Lord. I pray that they would be sensitive to your leading, that for those of you that know you, that they would follow you and lead boldly, and for those that don't, that, uh, that they would come to saving faith, Lord, that they, would, that they would lead us in a way that's honorable to you, Lord. Lord, pray for the leaders of our church, for pastors and elders, deacons, trustees. Give them strength. Help them to serve well in their responsibilities. Uh, continue to bless their lives. Uh, protect them spiritually, uh, that they may lead over us well. Lord, I pray for those that are unable to be with us this morning, whether it be due to the weather, whether it be due to illness, hospitalization, they're homebound. Lord, again, encourage them. Help us to be an encouragement to them uh, in, in, in any way, Lord. Lord, pray for the offering this morning. Uh, thank you for the abundance that you've given each one of us. Help us to uh, help, help us to use the money that you provided for this church and for the school wisely. Give us wisdom uh, and that it would, it would be used in a way that's glorifying and pleasing to you. Lord, I pray for this morning's sermon. Uh, thank you for Pastor Greg and his faithfulness to the Word of God. Thank you for his study. I pray that uh, our hearts and our minds would be opened to your Word, that your Spirit would move us and change us to become more like your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you again for this church and for uh, the people here. I just pray that you would continue to keep us safe and that most of all that we would, we, all that we do and say would be glorifying to you. In your name we pray, amen. At this time our children can be dismissed to their classes. Our young ones, as they make their way out, I'm going to invite you to stand as we continue in our worship before Pastor brings the message to us and we're going to sing, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. treasure of my longing soul my God like you there is no other true delight is found in you alone your grace a well too deep to fathom your love exceeds the heavens reach your truth a fount of perfect wisdom my highest good and my unending need 
defender of my weary heart, my sword to fight the cruel deceiver, and my shield against his hateful darts, my song when enemies surround me, my hope when tides of sorrows rise, my joy when trials are about me, your faithfulness, my refuge in the night. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, gracious Savior, laid on your shoulders in my place you suffered blood and died you rose the grave and death are conquered you broke my bonds of sin and shame oh lord my rock and my Well, good morning. You know, I've had this strange desire all morning long to start singing, Michael, row your boat ashore. You know, for weeks we've been praying for the, the Lord to send the rain. And now I think it's time to follow the example of our sister Petrina and give a response to those prayers. Are you ready? Praise the Lord. Ah, uh, no, we got to do that again. All the people at home are going to join us as well. We've been praying for rain. He sent the rain, so praise the Lord. Well, it's good to be back with you. I want to thank you for your prayers for me and my family and for Pastor Brian and his family over the past couple of weeks as we've gone through a difficult time. But we have found the Lord to be good, good and gracious and comforting and kind. And, you know, we were just singing a few moments ago the hope that we have in the gospel, and that is the hope that sustains us moment by moment. I want to add just a couple more quick announcements, if I might. The missions committee is really busy these days. Lots of activities are coming up, and in case you didn't catch it, we're going to celebrate next week one of the missionary families that we've supported for a long time, and they're retiring from the field. The Warwicks will be with us next week, 
and we want to let them know how much we appreciate their decades of service. And so if you get an opportunity, sign one of the cards in the foyer and let them know that you appreciate that they have gone out and have represented us well over these number of years. And they'll be with us in the service next week and afterwards in a time of Q&A to, to share what they've been able to do over the years. But the week following, November 7th, is a great global emphasis day for the church around the world. There's two major events that will take place on that day. The first one is Orphan Awareness Day, where churches around the world want to make known the needs of orphans in various places and how we as a church, a global church, can be involved in reaching out to them. You know, it's clear all throughout the Old Testament that God has a passion and a concern for orphans. And so we're going to have an emphasis on November 7th. And that very same day, is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And so we're going to be emphasizing those two things on the 7th. The Missions Committee is already working on that. And so you can get ready. They've prepared a card with information that you can get as you go out today. And where is Amy? Amy's in the back. She has a stack of cards that, that give information and, and prayer requests for those who need. So please see her on the way out today. And so you can be preparing already for these two important weekends that are to come. Well, you know, it's a reality in life that good theology and the promise of hope that we have as believers are essential if we are to survive difficult times. In fact, not only survive, but thrive in the midst of difficulties. A faith that God is good all the time and that his purposes will never fail are things that will strengthen us when things seem really bad, when things seem the most helpless from a human perspective, the one who keeps his eyes on the Lord, that he is good, that his promises will come to pass, will find that all is not lost, but that God is on the case. If you are with us, whether you're following online or here over the past several months, you know that we spent time in the book of Judges, and we saw that that was a period of very difficult spiritual darkness in the history of Israel. Yet even in the midst of Israel's ongoing rebellion and apostasy and, and going against the ways of God, at times we were given glimpses of hope that God's light, that God's grace had not gone out completely. And in the good providence of God, one of the signs that not all was lost during this time of the Judges is the book of Ruth. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to spend some time in this charming Old Testament book that shows us the love of God in the midst of a very difficult time. Now, we need to state up front that the book of Ruth is not a Harlequin novel. It is not a book of a love story about an outcast woman and a heroic redeemer. That's part of what's going on. But overall, the book of Ruth is a story of covenant commitment, of divine faithfulness and of a redeemer who saves desperate people ultimately it is a book about the chesed of god chesed that hebrew word that is hard for us to fully define but we translate it as loving kindness or god's covenantal love to his people his commitment of promise to his people and so in the book of ruth we will see a lot of chesed the love of god shown not only through God himself, but also through the main characters of the story of the book of Ruth. In this wonderful book, we have the actions of 
Almighty God in preserving the line of David. Because at many times in the story in the book of Judges, we're wondering, will Israel survive? And if Israel doesn't survive, how can God keep his promises? But we need not fear. If God has said it, he will fulfill it. He will see that it goes forward. And Ruth is one of those books that shows us that God keeps his promises. No matter how bleak things may look at times. And no matter how far God's people may fall at times, and they do, God will keep his promises. And his will and his ways shall always come to pass. The light of God, my friends, will always overcome the darkness of the world. Now, it's interesting when we look at the history of the book of Ruth. For one thing, as we do biblical studies, we'd ask, well, where should it be in the Bible? And you might think, well, that's an obvious question, Pastor. But in the history of the church, it hasn't been in the history of God's people. There is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint. And the Septuagint was the Bible that the apostles used, that the apostle Paul used when he went around and preached the gospel in Asia Minor and and, and the people of what we know as Turkey today on his missionary journeys. And in the Septuagint, Ruth is found in the very same place we have in our English Bibles, right after the book of Judges. But if we go by the original Hebrew Bible and the Masoretic tradition of the the Jewish scribes, we find the book of Ruth after the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 31, talking about this godly and virtuous woman, and then the book of Ruth slides in there to give an example. Now, don't let that worry you in the slightest. Because the Septuagint is simply... Ordering the books chronologically, the Masoretic tradition is organizing it thematically, but the most important thing is that God gave it. Every word from beginning to end. And it's in his holy word, and it is a message for us today. And so we as God's people want to pay attention to what God the Holy Spirit might be saying through this important book. Now, in the history of the Jewish people, the book of Ruth was one of the books that they read at the time of the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost, that feast that that came 50 days after the Passover, the Passover that would recognize the deliverance of God's people out of slavery, bringing them out of Egypt and into the land of promise, Pentecost, that feast of the harvest, where the, particularly the harvest of wheat, and that becomes an important part of the story in the book of Ruth because we have the emphasis on the barley harvest, which was the first fruits of a promise of greater harvest to come. And so all throughout the book of Ruth, we're going to see that the mercy and grace of God is revealed in many ways to a rebellious people. And even when things look really bad, even when it seems like almost entire tribes were turning against Israel, or it seems as if the whole nation was turning against Israel, God has always had a remnant. He has always had a group of people that have stayed faithful to him who did not bend the knee to the whims of the culture, who did not get washed aside by the changing theological and sociological convictions. And the book of Ruth is a sign that God has a remnant in every age, in every era, and we need not fear that his promises will come true. And through the use of personal story, the book of Ruth shows us that God's mercy extends to all kinds and types of people. The grace and mercy of God is extended to the rich and poor, to men and women, to Jew and non-Jew, to this tribe and that. 
so that we would see that it is a book full of hope and mercy and redemption and grace. We had a heavy time in our study in the book of Judges, and we'll find that Ruth will be a nice reprieve, as it were, a little bit lifting of the spirit, because even in the midst of that dark time, God is at work. And behind the scenes, what is going on in the book of Judges, the book of Ruth promises us that God will bring a king to Israel. Several times in the book of Judges, in those days there was no king. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It was terrible. And then we get to the end of the book of Ruth and we see that God is preserving the messianic line that will result initially in King David and then ultimately in the greater son of David, the King of kings and Lord of lords, even our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I believe that our hearts are going to be stirred over the next several weeks as we spend time in this wonderful Old Testament book. And so today, if God should be pleased, we're going to try to get through chapter 1. I'm not going to read the whole text at this time, but I do invite you to stand as I read the first introductory verses of the book of Ruth. And the holy and wonderful word of God says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These two took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah. The name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And both Mahlon and Kilian died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Now, fathers, we've read your word this morning. We are dependent upon your spirit to give understanding. So would you stir us this morning that we might understand your word and be ready to apply it as we understand it. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now here at the Evangelical Free Church, it is our standard procedure to just look at a text of Scripture and walk through it verse by verse. And if you're a visitor this morning, we're glad that you're here. And you can follow along in your own bulletin. You have an outline of the sermon. You can take notes. You can see what we're doing as we walk through the text. And we come to our first major point this morning, which is a painful sojourn. A painful sojourn. The text begins in the days... When the judges ruled. Now, I want to make just a slight correction to how the English Standard Version has translated this. Because, in fact, in the original Hebrew, the noun and the verb are coming from the same root, almost as kind of a rhyme and a rhythm. And so we might translate it as, in the days when the judges judged. This was a period of great spiritual darkness in Israel. And we have here, just by that introductory phrase, a theological description of the land and the people at that time. Because when the original readers would hear, in the day when the judges judged, they would say, "Uh uh-oh, this was not a good time. Would have been a cue that something is going wrong. And indeed there was. For when the judges judged, there was a famine in the land. Now we might be tempted to think that this was just a meteorological phenomenon. They just had a lack of rain, and so there was famine in the land. 
but one whose ear is attuned to what the word of God is saying and the promises that God had given to his people as they were on the cusp of entering into the promised land would immediately recall Deuteronomy 28. And in Deuteronomy 28, as Israel is standing on the plains of Moab, about ready to enter into the promised land, Moses gives them the law a second time and speaking for God says, if you do certain things, there will be great blessing in the land. But if you do not do these things, if you disobey me, there will be great curses. And that is the background of what is happening here at the beginning of Ruth chapter 1. One of the curses that is mentioned in Deuteronomy 28, if the people of Israel did not obey God, he promised that he would send famine in the land. And that's how the book of Ruth starts. There is famine in the land. Another one of those curses that would come would be infertility. That comes up almost immediately in the story of Ruth as well. And so we see this painful sojourn because it involved a painful time. There was famine in the land. And we have a man from Bethlehem of Judah who goes to sojourn in the country of Moab. Now, you've heard me say this many times, but I will say it again. There is no empty word in the word of God. And names always have a meaning in the word of God. And as we look at the meaning of names, we get important, important information about what's happening in the text. And we see that here. For the name of Bethlehem means the house of bread. Beit, house, lehem, of bread, sometimes translated as meat. So think about the theological condition of the land at this time, that in the house of bread, there is famine. The original readers would pick up on that and say, oh, this is, just, this is starting out in a very poor way. So in response, we have this man who is not yet named, who goes to sojourn in the country of Moab. Now, I say sojourn because the original word shows that he just intended it to be a short stay. It was not a place where he went to pick up everything, move to another place, and move there permanently like we might do if we move to another state, for example. This was a time he was just going to go for a short period of time, perhaps to ride out the famine. And we might say, well, so far, so good. You know, this is what a man should do. He should take care of his family. Except there's more. Because his name is Elimelech. El is the Hebrew name for God. That letter E is the possessive. The God of me, Melech, is king. So the very man whose name means my God is king does not act according to his name. If, in fact, God was his king, he would have followed the law as it had been given. And he would have involved himself and his countrymen in driving out the Canaanites from the land. After all, that's what they were commanded to do. That's the whole story of the book of Judges. They failed to do this. And remember, this is happening during the time of the Judges. He would have also known from the law that there was a way of overcoming famine. There was a way of overcoming difficulty, and it was Repentance. If the people were to confess their sins, confess their idolatries, confess their wrongdoings, then God said he would hear and he would forgive and he would restore. And so this man whose name was Eli, my God, Melech, is king, should not have gone to Moab to seek bread. He should have sought the face of God. He continues with what is happening in the time of the book of Judges. He is doing what is right in his own eyes. 
My friends, we need to be careful as well that we don't do what's right in our own eyes, that when we get in face of a difficult situation, that we don't seek to go to our own Moab to find our own solution, but rather we turn to the one who truly is able to provide for us. And it's one of the reasons why Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We are to be reminded that every day, in every way, in every moment, we are dependent upon God to give us what we need. We are not to go to Moab, we are to go to the Lord. So this painful time then led to a painful decision. Elimelech leaves, we are told in the text. He takes his wife, Naomi, and their two sons. Now, if we follow the storyline of the Bible, we recall that Abraham left his land to follow the Lord, to go to the land that God would show him. And that was the land of Canaan. Now, here we have Elimelech, who is almost the anti-Abraham. Because he not only has been shown the land, he has seen the land, he has lived in the land. And instead of staying there and doing it God's way, he goes to a foreign land. If his name is my God is king, he should act accordingly. And so should we. If we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our savior, as the one who has redeemed us, who has forgiven us of our sins, we carry that name. Christian, which means little Christ, which means then that when we face a challenge, our first resource should not be let's seek our own solution, let's seek our own problem, our own provision, rather let's do it God's way. The temptation is very great to do like Elimelech, to go to Moab for a season, to ignore the spiritual condition of our own soul, to ignore the plans of God, saying, well, I can always come back one day. It is today that we need to be nurturing our inner life in Christ, depending upon him to provide for us. And if we bear the name Christian, and means we are little Christ, Let's not say that Jesus is king if we do not live accordingly in our own lives. Well, it goes on. We have the man's name, Elimelech. We know what's happening in Bethlehem. Then we get to the name of his two sons, and we see that tragedy is afoot. For the name of the first son, Machlon, means weak or sick. And the name of Kilion means frailty or mortality. Wow, what a sad commentary on what's going on here. They flee famine with their sons, weak and frailty. They are called Ephrathites, which means they're part of a specific family in Bethlehem, and they should have stayed there, but Elimelech thought he could do things his own way. Now, he intended to stay in Moab for only a short season. The word that is in the original is very clear. This was to be a short time, but there's a problem for Elimelech. He cannot control the hand of God. And so we are told in verse 3, he dies in Moab. What was intended to be a short detour where he would do things his own way, going out of the land of provision, going to a foreign land, instead of being a detour, now became literally a dead end for him. By trying to escape the famine in his own strength, he ended up meeting his own demise. Far better for him to repent, far better for him to follow the law, far better for him to do things the way God intended instead of trying to be more clever than God and do things his own way. And it's the same for us today. 
And here's the good news of the gospel. All of us have acted like Elimelech at times. And the solution is the same. Oh, God, forgive me for my pride, for my selfishness, for my foolishness, for trying to do things my own way. Thank you that you've already provided a way, and to that way I gladly repent. Don't try to negotiate with God. Don't try to out-discuss God. Just repent and let his grace fall upon you so that you can see his provision. The good news, of course, is that in the book of Ruth, this book that begins with the man whose name is My God is King, but doesn't do so well, that very same book ends with the genealogy of David, who will become the great king of Israel, the great king of Israel. Man's failures cannot overcome God's faithfulness. Now, in verse 3, we see things now have reversed. Elimelech is now referred to as Naomi's husband. And they're now her sons. She has taken on now the, the, the lead in the home. And we find out that her name means pleasant. And that becomes a major theme in the book of Ruth. Pleasant doesn't always act so pleasantly. Doesn't always have a pleasant demeanor. But she will learn. She, she still is a woman who does desire to serve the Lord. But her name pleasant won't always be pleasant. And now we're introduced to some of the themes of emptiness and fullness, famine and provision, curse and blessing that will be all throughout the book of Ruth. So this family intended to stay in Moab for just a short period of time, but then the father dies. And you might think, okay, at that point, that might be a good time to go back to Bethlehem. But no, the sons actually at that time take Moabite wives. Yeah. You kind of feel what's going on in the story here? While this was not strictly forbidden by the law, it was clearly the case that Moabites were not allowed into the fellowship of God's people up to the 10th generation. They were not to be part of the fellowship of God's people. So Mahlon and Kilian, as it were, marry outside the faith. And so we see these unwise decisions that are going on. It wasn't wise to go to Moab. It wasn't wise to marry these Moabite women. And we might think Naomi should have stepped in, but it, it, the text doesn't tell us one way or the other. But what the text does very clearly show us in the history of the Old Testament is that Israel had a very difficult time with Moab. The Moabs got a very unsavory start. They were brought about as a result of an incestuous relationship by Lot and one of his daughters. That's how the Moabites came. The Moabites were the ones that resisted the Israelites as they tried to enter the promised land. And their king, Balak, even wanted to call down curses on Israel by bringing the false prophet Balaam. And the book of Judges itself. If you remember going back a few weeks, there was the fat king. That's what his name meant. Eglon, the fat king of Moab, who oppressed the people for 18 years. Israel did not have any reason to be consorting with the Moabites. But, as we've seen all throughout the book of Judges and continues here in the book of Ruth, Israel wasn't very good at obeying the Lord. So after we have this painful decision, we now realize there will be a painful outcome. The family goes to Moab, and they encounter tragedy. Eli Melech dies. The sons marry Moabites, and then it came to pass that after ten more years, the sons whose names were weak and frailty also die. 
Reading the original language, we would see this was really a difficult time for Naomi. She was left a widow. She now is childless. And because her sons are no longer, the name of her husband will also disappear. The covenant curse of famine is now being revealed in the covenant curse of infertility. And as we will see later in the book of Ruth, it is God who is the one who both opens the womb and who closes the womb. And for 10 years, he closed the womb of the wives of Mahlon and Kilian. And he will be the one that later in chapter 4 will open the womb of Ruth. There's tragedy as this story begins. Naomi has lost so much. She's left her homeland. She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. She's now a widow, which was not a place that you wanted to be in the ancient Near East where women needed to be under the protection of men and their families. And being childless, there would be no heritage for her name or her husband. She was literally a stranger in a foreign land, a victim who all she knows now is suffering and death. And it's at this point then, if we're hearing the story for the first time, we enter into the longing that she would feel. The longing for some type of protection, the longing for some type of deliverance, the longing for some type of provision, the longing for a savior. And that brings us then to our second major point, which is a faithful profession, a faithful Profession. Now, I'm going to go ahead and just read this next section. You can follow along on the screen behind me as we read these next several verses in this, in this brief text. Then she, Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return, each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And she kissed them and filled up their lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, to, go your ways, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake. That the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return now, my sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more. Also, if anything but death parts you from me. Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, and she said no more. 
There's so much in the culture's background here that you could tease out, but we'll, we'll do the best we can this morning. But what we see as we begin in verse 6, that Naomi hears that they're talking in the fields. Now, this is not quite like the recent you know, kind of jazz song, I heard it through the grapevine, but it was really close. There was gossip going on as they were working. Have you heard that now God is providing for his people back in Bethlehem? And I think what we see behind that, remember the story starts with famine. And now we see there's provision. Perhaps behind the scenes, we would see that God has responded to the pleas of mercy for his people. Perhaps there has been repentance. But in any case, we are clearly told that God has visited his people. Now, when God visits his people, that could be in judgment or it could be in provision. And here it's very clear provision. And it's almost as if Naomi, as she's out in the field trying to scrounge for herself, she hears that there's bread now again, once back in the house of bread, and she's thinking God is providing for his people. Am I not one of them? Maybe it's time for me to go home. But it's a reminder, is it not? That the Lord is the one who gives food. Ultimately, it is not the grocer or the farmer or the Amazon delivery man who brings the food. It is ultimately the Lord who gives the harvest. And that's why we celebrate this time of year, the harvest. Because he is truly the Lord of the harvest. So there's one problem taken care of. Famine now seems to be overcome. There will be bread in the land. But the second one now involves the daughters-in-law. Because Naomi now is the head of the house. And culturally and traditionally, she needs to provide new husbands, new families for her daughters-in-law. But she decides it's time to go back to Moab. She's reminded that it can be a mistake to go to Moab. But if we have gone to Moab, we can repent and go back to Bethlehem. If you have spent days away in Moab, you can repent and come back to the Lord and his ways. Because God's ways are always the best. Sometimes we think that we're so clever. Sometimes we think that we can just ignore the things of God and we can get away with it for a while. And, and maybe we might in his mercy. It's still always better to just do it the ways of the Lord. And so as we have this faithful profession, how do we get to it? Well, first we start out with passionate discussions. Passionate discussions. And this is what makes the book of Ruth so interesting. There's only 85 verses, I believe, in the whole book, but dialogue in 55 of them. That's what makes it so interesting because, as it were, we have this dialogue going back and forth. We can enter right into the discussion that is going on in these interpersonal dialogues. So they set out to go back to Judah. They needed to do this as a group because it was dangerous to travel alone in those days, especially dangerous for women to travel alone. And Naomi, after they've traveled for a while, we're not told how long. But we can kind of imagine that they've left Moab and they're on the way back. And maybe now the, some of the emotional sting of leaving Moab is kind of subsiding just a little bit. And they're starting to get on their trajectory. And she turns and says, go back, my daughters-in-law. But she says, go back to your mother's house. Which is really interesting. Because we might expect her to say, go back to your father's house. After all, that was typically seen as the place of provision. But there's something going on here. Because every time the expression, your mother's house, is used in the Old Testament, it is always in the context of love and marriage. 
It is always in the context of a wife finding a husband that will result in a family and a promise of a future. Naomi, by telling them to go back to their mother's house, she is making a confession. I can't provide for you. I can't find you new, new husbands. And so this is a, a command, as it were. Leave. Go back to your mother's home. And we see it where she says, find rest in the house of your husband. She even calls down a benediction upon him. And she uses the word chesed, covenantal love, this loving kindness of God. She says, as you have been loving and kind with me, may the Lord be with you. And so we have a good confession of faith here by Naomi. Her faith might be imperfect, but it is there. She recognizes truth, and she knows that ultimately it will be the Lord that will have to provide for these daughters-in-law. And so what happens? They're walking along. He needs to go back. They, they've spent at least 10 years together, we read, right, being married and the family. And when they have to separate, there is a time of deep grief, sadness, sharing of kisses, which in this context meant a sign of farewell. But notice that initially the daughters-in-law don't want to go. Notice that initially they say, we will return with you to your people. We don't know all the dynamics, but this reveals that there was, there was authentically dynamic relations of love and commitment within this family. But now we get to round two. There was actually three rounds of conversations that take place between verses 6 and 18. And now we get into what seems almost humorous language to us, but when we understand the context, it takes on more sense. Naomi says, listen, I, I gave you all I got. And she doesn't use the word womb here. She uses the word for guts. It's as if she's saying, look, I've, I've given you all that's in my guts. It's all I can give you. I've, I've, I've borne you two husbands already, and I don't have a husband anymore. And back in those days, it was often common for a, when a woman dies to marry the brother of her husband so that the name of the husband would be carried on. Perhaps that's what's indicated here. But in any case, she's understanding a very basic thing of biology. Look, you're asking for a lot. I mean, even if I were to find a husband tonight, and even if God were to give conception tonight, which is the word that's actually used in Ruth 4, God gave the conception. And even if I were to conceive a son and then another son, they would have to grow up, you know, at least 20 years. You're going to wait around that whole time for me to give you a second set of husbands? No, 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 no. Your prospects for marriage are much better if you go back to your own mother's homes. And so far, she's right. She's recognizing that she cannot do it. I think, though, we'll see that she didn't fully understand what God could do and that God was in this situation because what she has said so far is good, but she should have stopped there. You know, we all do that at times. We, we say something really good, and if we would just zip it right then, we would come off looking really cool, but then we got to go on. Well, Naomi has to go on because after she has said all this, she goes on and says, well, the Lord did this to me. It's all the Lord's fault. She doesn't want to admit any responsibility that she might have had in getting to this situation. It would not have been all her fault, but certainly she could have left with her sons after the death of her husband. She just says that she blames it all on God. Now, we're not so hard-hearted. This is a, this is a grieving widow, right? So we're going to 
we're going to be gentle with him. Because we've gone through a lot of loss. At the same time, one of the underlying stories of the book of Ruth is the sovereignty of God. And the sovereignty of God is ultimately for the good of his people. We see that stated over again and again. And so in every situation, we speak truth into the situation. And we say, well, Naomi, we understand the pain that you feel. We understand the hurt. But is God still God in your world? And if God is still God, what might God be doing in this situation? And I find that's helpful for me when I get in a difficult situation. My temptation is to complain. My temptation is to groan. My temptation is to say, my rights have been violated. This, How can this be fair? And you know what I'm telling God? You messed up somehow because I'm not happy. Is that really what we want to tell God? Or is it better to say, God, what are you doing in this situation? What lessons would you have me learn in this situation? Because ultimately, you see the beginning from the end, I don't. And we need to trust in the, so- in the sovereignty of God. Then we come to a practical decision. So, round two. You need to go back. I've given you everything I can. The command is there to leave. Orpah says, okay. Kisses her, fo- her mother-in-law. Off they go. This was the normal practice of the time. Go back to your mother's house. Orpah's doing what we would call the reasonable and expected thing. And in fact, he's not even judged by it or b- for it. And so she goes back. That's what would be expected. But what we know as the readers today, but what she wouldn't have known, was she was this close to the line of truth. That ultimately God was providing through Ruth, through Naomi, pushing the messianic line forward. By the time we get to the end of Ruth, we see, ah, that's what God is doing. The blessings would not come through Moab. The blessings would come through the pathway of the Lord. So think about it. Orpah was this close. She walked on the path of truth for a while. And then she saw it's going to be difficult going forward, so I'm going to go back. Not knowing that God was involved in all of that. And I sometimes wonder if we pass off the difficulty of what Jesus says when he says, pick up your cross and follow me. And we we want to go with him for a time and we say, oh, it's good when God is blessing. It's good when God is good. But now life is getting tough. Uh, You know what? I'm going back to Moab. Instead of just following on the path of truth. Jesus makes it very clear. It was very clear in the time of Naomi, in the time of Orpah, in the time of Ruth. It'll cost you something to follow on the path of truth. Or it might cost you something. And you know what? It'll cost you more if you don't. If there's anything in this life that you value more than your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, let me warn you today. That when things get difficult, you will be under great temptation to walk away from the path of truth. And so resolve today that you will walk on the path of truth because ultimately that leads to promise, fulfillment, and the best that God has for you. We must value nothing over the Lord. Jesus himself said, seek first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. That means above everything, seek the kingdom of God. Then all these things will be added unto you. So but we have a practical decision. But now we move on to the profound declaration. And we see a 
that Naomi is still struggling with what true faith looks like because she says to Ruth, follow Orpah, go back to your house, go back to your gods. Why would she say that? You know, her faith is not yet mature. She recognizes that there is God, but she's still playing games that, you know, perhaps there are other things out there. Her faith is not yet as deep as it will be, and we'll see that God is merciful with her. And aren't we glad that God is merciful with us because our faith is not yet as profound as it will be one day. So Naomi says, look, your, your sister-in-law has gone back. You go back with her with a command. You notice how Ruth responds. She first responds with a command of her own and then with several affirmations. She says, don't tell me to leave. I'm with you. And she gives a series of wonderful affirmations of her commitment to Naomi and to her people. And the words are here in verse 14, it says that she clung to her mother-in-law. It's the exact same word that's used in Genesis 2.24 that says where a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. Now, this is not promoting aberrant forms of marriage. It is simply showing that there was a covenant commitment of dedication in this relationship between these two women. I think we also have a clear sign of con conversion and commitment. In the ancient Near East, to change gods was to change an allegiance, to change your devotion. Well, that's what she's doing. She's leaving one group to go and join another. She's willing to risk everything, even her future. She doesn't know what the future holds, whether she'll get married again, what will happen. But she knows that she needs to go with Naomi because she has heard that God is with his people and she wants to go and be with them. And that's the way it is for us today. We don't know the pathway that God will lead us on. But we know the destination is going to be awesome. And so it is worth the risk to follow Christ. Because it will result in eternal blessing. And even if there's a few difficulties along the way, what's a few difficulties over the span of 80 or 90 years when eternity is a long, long time? One commentator looked at this interaction between Naomi and Ruth and said the irony is that although Naomi is returning to Israel, Ruth the Moabitess has more faith in the God of Israel than Naomi herself does. Naomi had to choose which family to follow, which line to go on, and so do we. Which path will we choose? The wide and easy gate that will lead to destruction the narrow gate but that leads to life now, now in the larger picture and this is why the scriptures are such fun to study because all the scriptures hang together and the storyline goes forward and what we have happening here in the book of Ruth in this encounter right now between Naomi and Ruth as they go back to Bethlehem is that God is bringing together what had earlier been separated let me explain Genesis 13 we have Abraham and we have Lot. And they've got such an abundance of sheep and, and, and flocks that they can't all stay in the same land. And so Abraham says, go which way you will. And Lot goes towards the land that would become Moab. And Abraham goes to the land of Canaan. Now Lot, follow with me here. Lot was the son of Haran, who was the brother of Abraham. Okay, So Abraham's nephew goes to Moab, 
well, it became Moab because Lot was the father of the Moabites. Okay? So what's happening here now is that a Moabitess is going with Naomi back to Bethlehem, and she says, I refuse to separate. Abraham and Lot separated. Naomi says, or, or um, Ruth says, I refuse to separate. God is bringing back together what had been separated. That's what the grace of God does. The grace of God continually brings in the outsider, the outcast, the desperate. The grace of God unites and reconciles that which has formerly been broken. And Naomi doesn't realize this yet. We do, because we know the story. But if we were in her situation, we might respond in the same way. She doesn't yet realize that this is God doing. This is the path that Ruth is to follow and Naomi is to lead her because it will be on this route that Naomi will ultimately receive the blessings she longs for. That God is governing all things in his providence and he's sovereign over all things. So this, this conversation would have gone on for a while because the distance between Moab, minimally between Moab and Bethlehem, was 70 miles. So... Do you think there was a little bit of tension along the way in that relationship? A little bit of discussion that we're just not giving the inside scoop on. It said that Ruth speaks no further, but 70 miles is a long way to walk with someone when there's this kind of underlying disagreement going on as they make their way back. But that leads us then to our last point, which is a hopeful return. A hopeful return. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her. They returned from the country of Moab and came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. These women come back, they come into the city. You can almost imagine it, right? The townspeople start talking. Is this really you, Naomi? And then we get to the question, better or bitter? Maybe they don't quite recognize her because, after all, she's been away for a long time. Is this really you, Naomi? Maybe she's just been so beaten down by the frustrations of life that they're not quite sure. But they ask her, is it really you? And she says, no, my name is not pleasant. Naomi, it's Mara. It's different. I'm not pleasant. I'm bitter because God has been bitter with me. Well, we'll get more to the story as we move through. But she was broken in her body and in her spirit, but still needs to learn what it is to be contrite in her heart. The word Mara was used in the history of Israel when the people of God grumbled against God because there was no water, because there was no bread. And so the word Mara became a reminder of how not to respond to the Lord. Naomi has not yet recognized God's guidance over her life. And I hope we're not the same way today. Now, there are many who call on the name of the Lord, but act very poorly if things do not go their way. 
the grumbling, the complaining, the angry language, the charges, the divisions. They act almost as if they're owed things by God. They're owed an easy and quiet life. That God is somehow this blessing dispenser from heaven who owes only good things to his people. But that's a wrong view of God. We don't know exactly all that he is doing, but we recognize that he is in control. And ultimately, if we are in Christ, purchased by the precious blood of the Lamb, God does not belong to us. We belong to him. And he can do whatever he wants that will bring him the most glory. And when we gather around his throne one day, even if we have gone through what seems to be hell and back, we will stand around the throne of God and bless his name that he saw fit to use us that way so that kingdom purposes would go forth. Better or bitter, we have the challenge in each situation that's before us. Empty or full. She blames the Lord for her emptiness. But was the Lord the one that sent her to Moab? We learn from Job that true faith says, blessed is the Lord when he gives, and blessed is the Lord when he takes away. She says she went away full. She had her husband, she had her sons. But if she was full, why did she go away? There was a need of bread. She says she's coming back empty. But who's standing with her? Her daughter-in-law. So how would you like to sit on that counseling session? Yeah, I went back to my mother-in-law's hometown, and we got there, and she said, I came back with nothing. I got nothing, and I'm standing right next to her. The people, as we go through the story, just seem to be addressing Naomi. They don't seem to be addressing Ruth. They will eventually, and I hope that we would be ready if God should happen to bring some Moabites among us, you know, those people, and how like us. But God says, I'm working in their hearts, I'm bringing them to join my people, that we'd be among the first to welcome the Moabites among us. We, we, we will talk about this word turn, I'm, I'm just going to move quickly through some of the last slides. But the word return is used 10 times in chapter 101. I love the idea of return. Because God's people often wander away. But they can come back. You may think you've wandered away and you've gone too far. But if you hear the voice of God calling you this morning, you can come back. It's true we sing prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And we do. And there's times we wander, and we do, but we can return. That's what Naomi, Naomi did. She returned. And so we end the chapter with a sign of hope. Because God does not give up on his own. He's constantly calling his people to come back to himself. Think of some of the big picture in the scriptures. Abraham runs to Egypt, and God calls him back to Canaan. Jacob flees to Aram, today Syria, and God calls him back to the land. Israel goes into exile. God calls him back. The prodigal son runs off to the cesspool of the world, and God brings him back. Naomi wandered to Moab, 
and God brought her back to the house of Mary. Friends, we need to recognize that we could find ourselves in any one of these situations. Before we came to Christ, we were Orpah. We were outside of the church, outside of the covenant of grace. We were strangers and aliens. But by God's grace, we heard that there is a path that we can come upon. And so we did, like Ruth. Followed on that pathway to truth because we want to be with God's people and be with him forever. And we can be like Naomi at times. We start to wander off that path, but we can always come back. And I just see so much of the gospel in Ruth chapter 1. I'm so thankful that God has given it to us. And as we get to the end, the drama is set for what is to come. Naomi's returned. She's with her daughter-in-law who needs a husband, who needs a new life situation. It's the time of the barley harvest, the very last words we see, which is the beginning of the first fruits of a harvest to come. And we will see that in the book of Ruth, pointing even to a greater harvest above and beyond that. So what can we think about this week as we get ready for eventually getting to Ruth chapter 2, which will not be next week. Next week we're having a special celebration service on the Reformation. But when we get to Ruth chapter 2, what are some things we can think about between now and then? Well, a couple of points. Follow God's word, not your own human wisdom. We need to hear that every day. Follow God's word and not our own human wisdom. Do not let sins accumulate. There is no sin that's ultimately small, but there's the temptation we have where we sin and we've moved away from the Lord and we think, I can't come back. That's a lie. We call it a lie. Confess your sin. Come back. Don't let it accumulate and accumulate. And the problem gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And pretty soon you're discouraged and you want to give up. That's what the devil wants you to do. The gospel says, come on back. Thirdly, the grace of God is available to us, including the outsider and the outcast. And isn't that good news for us today? And then like Ruth, we learn that to follow the Lord is a full-fledged commitment of trust in Him. With all that we are, loving Him heart, soul, mind, and strength that we would follow Him. And even if the Lord leads us on some difficult paths, which is likely. The Lord is always at work. Always. And so there is always hope. His plan shall come to pass. His will shall be accomplished. And his people shall be vindicated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a beautiful word. We thank you that not only is this word true, but it is powerful and it is transformational if we would but let it. And so, God, by your Holy Spirit, work in our hearts and minds to receive and apply what we've heard today. Father, we want to love you more and serve you more and proclaim you more. And we want to invite those around us that there is a pathway to truth. And we want to go out even this week like beggars telling other beggars where they can find the bread of life. And may you use us to lead them to the true 
Bethlehem, the true house of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we pray and as we give thanks this morning, in Jesus' name. stand and sing with us as we close out our service. I will sing of my Redeemer. Stay around afterward, have some fellowship, go over a cup of coffee, available out in the foyer. I will have my pastor's class today. We will finish up in the book of Galatians, and if time permits, start in Ephesians. And I will stay down front after the service. We'll have someone who likes to come and share a prayer request, and we can go to the Lord together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let us go in peace. Have a wonderful Lord's Day.